different people are going to need different types of coaching. Potential has no value until it's realized. So the most important thing is to try to inspire people so that they can be great in whatever they do. And that's a Kobe Bryant quote. Not only do we need to inspire people into our vision, but we also have to inspire them to cast their own vision for their own personal goals and dreams. A coach and a leader's job is not just to help someone be successful in the business or make the business successful, but also to be able to truly develop them as a person and become more successful in life and more fulfilled. The voice you just heard is Kevin Donahue. Kevin has had a chance to coach and be coached by many great individuals, both in Vector and in sports. He's also one of the most informed sports fans I know, despite his loyalties to certain teams you'll hear about today. Kevin knows what great coaches do. He understands the difference between a coach and a boss, and he strives to create a solid coaching relationship with everyone under his guidance. I know you'll enjoy this fun conversation today with Cutco Vector's Los Angeles division manager, Kevin Donahue. Welcome to Changing Lives, Selling Knives. I'm your host, Dan Cassetta. There's a generation of entrepreneurs and business leaders out there right now who are positively impacting the world using lessons and skills that they first learned from selling Cutco knives with Vector Marketing Corporation. This podcast was created to share inspiring stories from Cutco's most prominent alumni and current leaders. On this show, you'll meet successful entrepreneurs, best-selling authors, superstar business executives, and transformational leaders from many walks of life. All our guests will have two things in common. One, they're all changing lives today through their work and their influence. And two, they all started out selling Cutco knives when they were younger. The lessons of the Cutco Vector experience are numerous, are compelling, and are real-world concepts for business and life. Through hearing real-life stories and hands-on experiences, you'll gain insights that can help you in whatever it is that you do in life. Thanks for pressing play. Let's get on with today's episode. Welcome to the podcast, everybody. I am really excited today because my guest is one of my longest-term colleagues and friends, Mr. Kevin Donahue, who is the Los Angeles Division Manager for Cutco Vector Marketing. Our relationship goes all the way back to 2002 when Kevin started in the Cutco Vector business in Monterey, California, in the Bay Area Division. I was the Division Manager at the time. So I got to know a young Kevin Donahue. He ran a branch in Vallejo while he was in college at UC Davis. He graduated in 2007 with a degree in poli-sci and history, and he became a district manager in Monterey at that time. He ran his operation there in the Monterey County area for a number of years before having the opportunity to relocate to San Francisco in 2014. And not long after that, Kevin had a chance to head down to L.A., to Pasadena specifically, where he took over the helm of the Los Angeles division. He has led that division to growth years consistently since that time, including the last three years in a row, over $4 million in sales in his organization. He has also had the Silver Cup champion new district manager two times in the last four years, most recently, including Mr. Ben Lee last year. Kevin also has had a tradition of CSP excellence in his division. 
and he's played a big role in helping to coach those people to excellence. He's a huge sports fan, so we're going to talk a little bit about sports and coaching today. Kevin's big four in sports are the Lakers, the Chicago Bears, and Chicago White Sox, which is where he grew up, and the University of Michigan. And so there you go. Welcome, Kevin Donahue. I'm excited to have you here. Awesome. It's, uh, it's great to be here and excited to uh, dive into some coaching talk. Yes. Excellent. This is going to be fun. All Take right. us back to 2002. Tell us how you got started with Cutco. All right. Well, sticking with the sports theme, I was recommended to the job by a good buddy of mine named Charles Cochran, who later on became your dom for a brief time, I believe. Right. Yes. Uh, so Charles recommended me to the job. I remember him showing me his paycheck and realizing that he was getting paid significantly more than I was uh, at my current job and that he was working a lot less than I was, uh, which I was well aware of. And so I went in and I interviewed with Scott Sutton, uh, who was my original district manager and became my first mentor in the Cutco business. And so that led me to get started. That was the summer of 2002, uh, just after graduating high school. And I was able to qualify for Vegas uh, that summer. Was my I, I was not a huge seller my first summer. I just barely qualified for the Conference of Champions in Las Vegas. And shout out to Zach Taffany for uh, helping me be able to get to Vegas that particular year. And now my second summer, Went out and sold about 20K and became an assistant manager. Uh, the next couple of summers, I worked as an assistant manager and a sales manager in that Monterey office. And ultimately, between my junior and senior year of college, I was able to run a branch office in Vallejo, California, and ran that branch in 2006. And that was my, my college career with Cutco. Nice. That is so cool. Great names. That you brought up right there. I have very fond memories of all those guys. Scott Sutton, mm-hmm. uh, Charles Cochran, Zach Taffany, of mm-hmm. course. I know that uh, you know Scott, just like you, grew up in the vector business in the Bay Area and you know went to school at St. Mary's and ran a branch as well while he was a, a student. And Charles ran one of the top branches in the country in San Luis Obispo. Yep, that's right. That's right. During his college years. I remember that. Yeah, they were so the slow pokes, the slow, pokes. <laughs> the slow pokes. Yeah, because uh, Charles was a uh, country boy. Yes. I seem to recall he was also a not very fast lineman, but he was a very good. <laughs> lineman, so yeah, that's pretty cool. And of course, Zach Taffany was a part of that team mm-hmm. in Monterey when you got started, and he became a tremendous uh, performer in our division for many years as a, a branch manager and district manager. So pretty cool. What are some of the experiences that stand out from your early career? I would say some of the experiences that really, uh, I would say, kept me around uh, for the longest time and really uh, were kind of transformational experiences for me were, first of all, the first time I had a 10K push. And I remember it was not the first time I set a goal to sell 10K for push that I sold 10K. But uh, I remember setting that goal and going out and selling $10,000 in two weeks. And uh, at that point, uh, that was considered a huge accomplishment in Vector. It's still a great accomplishment in Vector, but certainly in the dollars of those days, it was a bigger accomplishment and it took a lot to be able to do it. Like I said, it wasn't my first time going for it that I achieved it. And I really felt like that was one of the first times where I felt like I could do anything in the business. And so I had success at other things I'd done, but never really the massive success that I wanted to until that point kind of started it in Vector. And so 
I would say that uh, that would be the first one as a rep. It's remarkable how many people in these interviews will reference their 10K push period mm-hmm. as a transformational moment in their life, right? One two-week period where a sales, Cutco sales rep puts their best effort in and ends up selling 10 grand really ends up building confidence for every other achievement that they strive to go after later in life. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. I definitely have seen it change many others since then. And certainly I I view that as something where it really is an empowering experience to have in Vector. Yeah, that's cool. I would say the next most transformational experience for me that really sticks out in my mind is running my first branch office. And I feel like when I got a chance to run a branch office was the first time that I really learned that the only thing more rewarding than accomplishing something yourself is teaching someone something and watching what they'd accomplished. And that's really what I got a chance to experience more as a branch manager than I even had as an assistant manager. I'd felt that a little bit here and there uh, in my previous management experience, but I felt like running my own office was really the first time where I experienced that in spades. And I also would view that branch manager experience, although we, uh, I think we did just under a hundred grand and, you know, we uh, had a good, strong finish. We did not start strong, but we finished strong. And so there were some positive things from it, but we also didn't hit our goals. And I remember going into my branch manager experience with a little bit of an underestimating the challenge of what it would take and overestimating what I would be able to do. And so really I, I did not prepare as much as I needed to. And so it was one of the times where I learned that You can't try to rely on your talent. You have to really prepare for the success that you want to have in business and in life. And so uh, that really, I think, shaped me moving forward because uh, I I don't like performing at low levels. And so when that didn't go so well, I realized I needed to prepare a lot more for bigger things that I would do later in life. Yeah. We get a lot of young people in Vector. I know you've had a lot of them who were good in other things in their life before Vector. Maybe they were a star athlete or they had other track record of excellence and other things. And oftentimes they think that everything's going to be just as easy in Vector as it was in these other areas that they just naturally excelled at. And I think the branch manager experience above all else exposes people at a time when it's so great for them to realize the things they need in order to be able to be great in life at 19 or 20 years old or 21 years old, as opposed to finding those things out when they're 30 or older, and you experienced that challenge. Branching was a difficult experience. You, you did fine. I seem to remember you doing a decent job, even though you said you didn't hit your goals, but it helped you realize that like, hey, to be great, I've got to be able to bring a little more to the table. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I feel like that was something where from that point forward, I kind of committed to making sure I was preparing at a higher level to achieve what I wanted to achieve. So yeah, excellent. Well, I would say my last pre-graduation or pre or you know college career moment for me would have been a conversation that I had with you. We call it the coaching tree conversation is what I generally remember it as. And this was a few months before I graduated from Davis. And when after I'd gone and ran that branch, I kind of viewed that that was going to be the end of my Cutco career, uh, that I worked Cutco through college. I got some great experience from it. I learned a lot from it, uh, but I didn't know if I was going to be continuing on in my postgraduate career with Cutco. And 
So I hadn't, uh, as I mentioned, hit all of my goals when I was a branch manager, but I loved the impact that I was able to make directly on the people that I worked with. Uh, I really, really enjoyed and felt fulfilled in what I did as a branch manager. And I also had a great relationship with some of the other leaders throughout the division. And so it was January that this conversation, this coaching tree conversation came into place. And I was going to graduate in March and the company was having our annual kickoff conference. And this conference, there were four people who are going to get promoted to district manager at the event. Those four people you know well were Joe Geneza, John Ross Nafuente, Andrew Costello, and Ron Geronimo. And we also currently had two pretty stellar district managers that were in the division, which were Mr. Carl Gedris and Jen Wong. And they were all getting promoted uh, at the event. And before the event, you and I had a beer at the hotel lobby and talked about sports, like the sports fanatics that we are. And yeah. you talked to me about Bill Walsh. Yes. And, uh, we Bill Walsh, of course, is the all-time great coach for the 49ers. And in particular, you showed me his coaching treat. And you told me that the most impressive thing about Bill Walsh was not that he had won the championships he'd won, but that he had created and developed other championship coaches over the years. Mm. And yes. you, you, know, you told me that you wanted to create this in the Bay Area and that there were two great managers and coaches that you had to start with, Carl Gedris and Jen Wong, both of which I had tremendous respect for, Carl being a manager who I looked up to most and has become a very close friend of mine over the years and really been a big part of my development in Cutco and, and life as a leader in general. Uh, but you told me that you were looking to build around champion leaders with Joe Geneza, John Rastafuente, Drew and Ron as well, and that you saw me as a pillar in that coaching tree and that you thought it would be a great choice for me for my first career after college to become a district manager. Mm -hmm. And you said that I would be a part of something special, a national championship organization building in the Bay Area, and that that should be definitely one of the one of the options I should consider uh, as I graduate. And so I would say that that meeting combined with the desire to be a part of a leadership team I respected, the people I just mentioned there, uh, and ultimately, uh, I decided to make that my first career in my life. And of course, that was 18 years ago. So it was much more than a first career for me, but uh, I can certainly look back and view that conversation and decision as one of the most impactful in my life. So yeah, wow. I remember those days very fondly, Kevin. Mm -hmm. And uh, the the beginnings of what became a really great team here in the mm -hmm. Bay Area, as you mentioned, Carl Gedris and Jen Wong were kind of like the the uh, the foundation of it. Mm -hmm. um, but from that, right, all the uh, people that you mentioned all became uh, district managers in 2007. Yep. Um, and uh, and you did, too, yeah. as it turns out. And in the second year of all of you being district managers, our division went from five million to eight million and was number one in the nation. Yes, I remember uh, us setting a goal to win a national championship in 2009, and instead we did it in 2008. So that was great. <laughs> That's right. It's a good thing we did it in 2008 because, as I remember, uh, the NORPAC division grew so large by 2009 that they became untouchable for about four more years. So. <laughs> yes, if, if I remember correctly, we grew, but we were number two the next year. So yeah, exactly, exactly. But uh, that's exactly what happened. It was great to be a part of that team. It was great to have you be a part of that team. 
Um, tell us about some of the coaches, Kevin, that you've had in your life. Yeah. If I'm thinking about coaches, I guess the first people that I would start with are my parents. And I would say that uh, one of the things that uh, has helped me in my life is I have a supreme level of confidence. And I think that that was instilled by my parents uh, in the way they raised me. Uh, they encouraged me to try anything that I wanted to try. And they not only encouraged me to try it, but they encouraged me that I could be great at those things. So this included school, this included music, this included sports, all of which I was blessed to have a high level of success in during my youth. And they taught me that if I worked hard at anything, I could be great at anything. And they encouraged me to practice. They encouraged me to attend camps. They encouraged me and even coached some of my teams when I was really young. But more importantly, I would say they led by example. So my parents were two of the hardest working people that I know throughout their careers. And yet everything that they did was to create a better life for myself and my brother. And they really instilled with me uh, in a young age, the importance of we work to live, we don't live to work. So even though they were working as hard as they were, they made it very clear why they were working as hard as they were, and they communicated that pretty well. So mm. Th that's a great start on this question about coaches in your life. And I love that your parents encouraged you to try things. A lot of times I feel like as a parent now, which I am, and hopefully you'll get to be one day, mm -hmm. you don't want your kids to get hurt. You don't want your kids to fail sometimes. And, and so I think that sometimes we're a little reluctant to let them get into certain things. Mm -hmm. um, but in reality, it's like those experiences are going to make them into who they can be. And even when they fail, they're going to get so much out of that if we can help teach them how to shape their thinking about it. And so I just like that your parents were encouragers and just wanted you to try things. I think that's pretty cool. And then the, the idea of leading by example, and certainly we'll, we'll, we can come back to some of these things as we talk more about good coaches. Who else stands out as coaches in your life? Well, uh, sports were definitely a, a big part of my life. They pretty much were my life for about half of it. So the first sports coach that comes to mind for me uh, is, I know him as Big Earl. Uh, his name's Earl Rowland. And uh, Big Earl is the father of a friend and former teammate of mine, EJ Rowland, who was a very successful basketball player in Europe uh, until just recently. And Earl was a tough coach. So uh, he was a very tough coach while at the same time showing you that he cared about you as a person. So if you made a mistake, you were going to hear about it and not in a quiet way. And while I'm not someone to yell as much as Earl was, this was the first introduction for me of the importance of being easy on people, but hard on results. Because like mm. I said, although I would get an earful from Earl whenever I needed an earful from Earl, at the same time, I knew very much that he cared about me and my success and, and cared about me as a person. So easy on people, tough on results. What does that look like, Kevin? Well, I think that in my conversations that I had with Earl in particular, I would say is uh, he talked about what he wanted to help me accomplish in my basketball career and how hard it was going to be to be able to do that and being able to communicate with me that he was going to coach me hard to be able to make that happen. And so there was an understanding there that if I were to do something wrong, that that was going to be communicated, but that he was doing it for my best interest. And so you knew that even though that it didn't feel good at the time to sometimes be coached in a hard fashion like that, that they were doing it for your own good. And I think that with our people in business and in life and that we're coaching, that, that as long as they know deep down that we have their best interests at heart, then they're 
they understand when we're a little bit harder on them. And sometimes you even need to communicate with someone that, hey, I'm being hard on the result right now, but it's because I believe that you're capable of more than that result. Yeah. Excellent. So, so there's some element to getting to know the people that you're coaching and finding out what it is that they want. Mm-hmm. And I guess you could even say getting, getting their permission to help them achieve what they said they want, right? To, to, exactly. Yeah, to, exactly. You, you know, be that tough coach at times when they need it to, uh, 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 I've used the expression, you know, the sharp stick called truth, yep. right? Poke people with that a little bit when they need it as well. And yet you're doing it in a way that builds up the person and shows them that you believe in them and you believe that they can achieve what they want. They can hit their goals. And that gives them that feeling of inspiration and motivation versus feeling harped on or, or uh, being negative, right? Yeah, because I, I never really felt negative in that relationship, uh, despite you know, the, uh, you know, what somebody from the outside looking in might feel like somebody would. So, Awesome. And uh, so my, my second coach I would go to was uh, football. I, said, I would say football and basketball were my main sports. And uh, I was blessed to play for some really good, I would say, great high school football teams. And we won back-to-back open division titles my junior and senior year. And our coach was Coach Carnazzo. And Coach Carnazzo was uh, the unquestioned leader of these teams. And we worked hard uh, from the conditioning to the practice to the weight room. Uh, the, the, the few key moments, though, that I really remember from these teams that really influenced me in terms of coaching were first, Coach Carnazzo had always said that if we had a chance to win or tie in the playoffs, they used to let you tie in the playoffs, really weird. But if you had a chance to win or tie in the playoffs, that we would go for the win and go for two. And sure enough, in that first championship game that we had my junior year, uh, we scored a touchdown with not much time to go. And we went for two. And we won our first championship by going for two on the last touchdown of the game. And ever since I was a little kid, I had a saying that I would say, I'll never give up. Uh, I remember even instilling this in my grandma uh, at one point of having a never give up attitude. And so she would actually like say it back to me later on. So never give up has always been like a motto of mine since I was very little. And this story, I would say, enriched that even further and really made it as something that uh, is a story that I continue to tell uh, to this day. And Building off that first championship is the second lesson that I got from those teams, which was after that first championship, we got into our first weightlifting session and posted everywhere in that room was 12-1-2001. In other words, December 1st, 2001. We didn't really know what that date meant, but we quickly figured it out uh, and guessed that that was probably when the championship game was, because that's around the time the championship game was the year before. And so we asked a coach and that was confirmed. And so sure enough, that was posted in the weight room, the first weightlifting session that we went into to state that the reason why we were doing everything that we were doing from that moment forward was to get back to the championship game. And one of the things that I constantly teach and the people that I coach now today is the importance of having specific written down goals and the importance of looking at them every day. And so that was one example that I had in my sports career of having that specific written down goal, not only written down, but visual for every single person uh, that was on the team. And that was something that was very powerful for us. And I think a a big reason why we were able to accomplish what we did. I love it. Very cool. Well, I guess that segues me more into my coaching career with Vector. And so my, my first coach that I had in Vector was Scott Sutton. And Scott was the first person to teach me that potential has no value until it's realized. 
So when I was first working in those vector offices in Monterey, I would often say things or insinuate things like, I could do those great things too if I worked that hard. I just choose not to work that hard. And so for whatever reason, I was basically taking pride in that I could accomplish good things because I had a lot of talent to accomplish those good things. And that if I was accomplishing good things with minimal effort, that that was okay. Uh, Instead of accomplishing great things that I could have accomplished if I would have put in full effort. And so Scott was one of the first people who challenged me on that philosophy of it doesn't really matter what you can do potentially. It only matters what you actually do. And so that led to things like the 10K push that I mentioned before and some of the other things I was able to accomplish in my career uh, working there as well. So uh, so Mm. I would say that that was one of the first business coaches that I had was Scott. And that was the, the, the lesson that sticks the most from my time working with Scott. What a great insight that it's not potential that makes somebody great, but it's realized potential. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's a great message for a lot of people to take in and, and ponder. Yeah. And I mean, my next coach would have been you. So Dan Cassetta himself, and you are probably the single greatest mentor that I've had in my professional life, uh, serving as my division manager, as you mentioned, for my entire representative and district manager career. And I would say the first thing you did was you helped reawaken the lesson that I just mentioned from Scott. So one of the things that you would tend to do throughout my district manager career was you would point out people on reports that were beating me that had no business beating me. (laughs) and you would you would ask me the question of is that person better than you (laughs) you knew very clearly what my answer would be and i would say no they're not better than me like i should be doing more than you're like correct they are not better than you but their results are better than you right and so this was something that was very uh, powerful for me to realize that again uh, in order to accomplish what you want to accomplish it takes preparation it takes a certain amount of work ethic it takes a certain amount of mastering your craft and so uh, it's not about who's the best it's about who's performing the best and so uh, so that lesson was repeated there and i would say that i also learned the lesson of being grateful versus entitled is one of the things that i learned a lot from you to be grateful for the opportunities that you have, to be grateful for the things that you're able to accomplish, to be grateful for the challenges that come along the way because they help you grow and that everything is earned and we shouldn't feel entitled to anything. We shouldn't feel entitled to grow from one year to the next. Uh, we have to earn that growth from one year to the next. So, uh, so that was definitely huge for me. And that really tied in with what you taught me about the power of personal growth and the importance of always learning and growing, and to pass that forward and instill that value into the people that we lead. And so that's something that I really try to have permeate throughout my organization is that driving hunger for personal growth and personal development. And that is definitely something that I got from you. In fact, uh, you and Scott took me to a Jim Rohn speaking event. And that was, I think, the first personal growth event that I ever attended. And so that was uh, very valuable and instilled that important value in in me at at an early age of my management career. And I would say last lesson from you came specific to the business was the importance of creating pillars in a division organization. 
And so when I look at my organization and what I want to develop, I often model it around what we had going in the Bay Area. And uh, I look at those years where we had Carl and Joe and John Ross and Drew and myself and Ron, and we just had uh, a very powerful group of people uh, who were all leading. They were all leading the right way. They were all creating culture. They were all supporting one another. They were all very collaborative. And being able to have those pillars and being able to work through those pillars was really something that had a huge impact through the duplication that happened throughout the organization. And so that's something that I I would say I learned a lot that's helped me out in my division manager career. That's cool. I like that. I think about some of the conversations that I know we've had, and I just want to make a disclaimer to anybody listening that I feel like there's a lot of relationship building that happens on the front end of any longer term relationship in the business that allows you to be really direct with someone and allows you to to be able to have the kind of conversations that we've had. And I think that that's a key part of being able to have interactions similar to what you just described. I remember buying Joe Geneza a book that was called Talent is Not Enough. (laughs) And it's like, you know, I mean, me handing him that book was a little bit of a needle, right? It's like, Mm -hmm. this is a guy that was succeeding on his raw talent, Mm -hmm. right? At a high level, but hadn't yet broken through to be able to achieve as much as he possibly could. And again, like I could hand a guy Mm -hmm. a book like that and have it be received well, because there was a lot of front end relationship building that went in where I feel like we all had a relationship where we wanted each other to be direct with us. We wanted each other to be able to have those kinds of conversations, right? Yeah. And I think that that extended with us to each other. Uh, We were very direct with one another when we felt like we needed to improve something, right? Like if we felt one team didn't have very much culture, we would try to help that that team create better culture. Uh, Right. Felt like you know one team was not performing the way they needed to we would we would talk to each other about hey what do you need from us to be able to uh, teach that you know we started collaborating a lot more on things like team meetings collaborating more on on the different programs that we were building and and something that certainly has always been around in vector for a long time but i think we really had that going very strong in those bay area years yeah and you certainly had an opportunity to be influenced by a lot of great coaches uh, whether it be in your personal life or in vector um, certainly beyond my influence on you it would be, you know, people like Carl and the influence that he had, PJ Potter, Dave Powders, even your other peers to this day in the Western region. You've had a lot of real positive influences from some great coaches. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, speaking of that, the next person that I would talk about for coaching in Vector was, was Dave Powders. Dave Powders was my DVM for all of about five months, but he had a great influence on who I would become as a division manager and who I'd become professionally in those five months. And beyond that, he's remained someone whose opinion that I really respect most. And I feel like the biggest thing I got from Dave was Dave instilled in me the importance of having key core values instilled into the organization and have those be clearly communicated with your team. Uh, And the value also of spending extra time with the key up and coming leaders in your organization at a very early stage in the business. I remember uh, Dave, as soon as he came into the division, he had specific values that he wanted to make sure that everybody was uh, exhibiting, uh, all the leaders especially were showing. And I also remember him coming to visit my office and meeting with all of my up and coming leaders right at the very beginning 
of his time working there as well. And so these were people that might have only been at six or $10,000 in sales, but he's like, I want to meet your best people. And who do you got? And everyone who you can get to meet with me, have them meet with me. And really trying to latch on to the talent within the organization at an early stage uh, was something that I think I gained a lot from Dave. Yeah. Excellent. I think that a lot of people think that coaches are experts at developing people that are already talented and helping them, you know, to maximize their results. I think really great coaches can see people's potential before they're even realizing it. Mm -hmm. And they early in the game latch onto somebody that they feel like has some, you know, good qualities or some, you know, different unique abilities and they help them they help uplift those people to become great. Uh, and that's a big part of what uh, Dave and, and many others have done for sure. Yeah. And I would say my last one in the vector business was and is uh, Bruce Goodman. When I think of Bruce, I think of three leadership characteristics that he exemplifies at a higher level than any leader I have ever met. And these three values are core values in my leadership with my organization as well. And, and those three characteristics are integrity, authenticity, and communication. And I felt at a very early stage of my management career that if the company was good enough for a great leader like Bruce, uh, that it would probably be a great place for me. And so that's uh, part of the reason I would say that I kind of started considering it more as a long-term career uh, than as a first career. So excellent. That was great. Now you mentioned Kevin that, you know, Dave was your division manager for five months. Tell us about that transition and leaving the Bay area, going to LA. Yeah. So, and this all started with conversations with Bruce, PJ Potter, and you, and it really culminated in a final conversation that I had with PJ. And leading up to that conversation, as you may remember, I was campaigning for myself to be the next division manager of the Bay Area. And I know I had many conversations regarding this. And ultimately, I learned that there was a Hall of Fame division manager who was moving to the Bay Area. And that would mean that I would not be able to have that position be available to me. And so I learned this in a meeting that I had with PJ. And and he made it clear that although that was not going to happen, that he, he viewed me as the right leader to be a DVM in the Western region and to join the division manager table of leaders that we had. Mm -hmm. And that he saw this happening by me moving to Los Angeles and taking over the LA division. And I, I'm very grateful to PJ for that initial conversation and the multiple conversations that led up to it, also for the early mentorship that he provided to me during my early DVM career. Uh, but that's uh, what got me moving. And once uh, that, that conversation had happened, I very quickly decided that uh, attachment to the Bay Area was less important than having an opportunity to run a division organization and moved down to Los Angeles uh, months later. And, and once I knew I would be opening the LA division for the company, it was time to really get to work on that. And so the first thing that I did was I crafted a vision, which was based on values that were important to me that I would want to instill in my organization. This is really kind of building off what I mentioned with Dave and what David taught me. And so the values that I decided were important were number one, integrity, which I defined as being 100% real and 100% authentic in all that we do and all the communications that we have. Uh, work ethic. We want to build a talented team, but we want to hang our hat on our work ethic over our talent. Perseverance. We have the never give up attitude. 
that I had had since I was a little kid. And But the never give up attitude in all that we do. And we understand that obstacles are normal in life and that we will be defined as people who overcome those obstacles. And the last one, personal growth. And we achieve our goals through growing into the people who are capable of achieving those goals, whether someone is here for two or three months, two or three years, or much longer, that we are constantly pursuing the best versions of ourselves and we're becoming better uh, during the time that we're here. So, so those were things that I decided were going to be my, my four pillar values and still are the four pillar values to this day of our division. And that's what kind of kicked off the LA division. And then I had to move on to sharing that with my people. Yeah. I love that. Integrity, work ethic, perseverance, and personal growth. And uh, it fits in very well with a lot of the things that you talked about that good coaches in your life did. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the, these things that good coaches do and how you have implemented them uh, in the ways that you coach your people there in the LA division now. Yeah. So, well, the first thing I would say is, which really fits in with what I was just mentioning there, is casting a vision. And so when I first went to uh, San Francisco, uh, I was able to get the first. Uh, the first followers uh, and or the first believers in our goals of what we want to accomplish in San Francisco. And that was Siobhan Polinas and Isaac Garcia. And then we brought Jessica Dito in to take it over. Well, when I was going into Los Angeles, I didn't know anyone in Los Angeles uh, that I could enlist in this vision that I had. And so I wanted to find some pillars that I could build with. And that started off with developing a staff. And so I knew two people, Josh Liu, and Danielle Flores, who happened to both go to UC Riverside. And I knew Sean Jurassi from my time uh, running the Monterey office, who was one of my top representatives and assistant managers there, who I knew would be very mobile. And I also knew he had a great relationship with Josh. So I was able to enlist those three leaders to have the challenge of creating the foundation of a championship organization that would become the LA division. Mm. And that led us to be number two in the region in new biz for that first summer. Thanks, Evan Keller, for making sure it was number two. And more importantly, it set a standard for the values and standards that we would build uh, over the next few years. And then I also communicated that vision of my commitment to what we what I knew we could accomplish as a division organization to the current leaders that were in place in the division. So I had meetings right when I got there with Brandon Brown, Deanna Scortino, Danny Garrido, Dwayne Murdoch, Donnie Sanchez, uh, which were all FSMs and CSPs uh, that were there at the time. And each of these people have become an integral part in the leadership of our division and played a large role in our growth. And the first four, of course, became Cutco sales professionals or continued as Cutco sales professionals. And then the last one, Donald Sanchez, became a district manager. Mm -hmm. And so I really, when I think about casting vision, I think that people need to know that they are part of something greater than themselves. And they really take a lot of pride in being part of something great. Everyone wants to be part of a successful and a winning team. Everybody wants to be part of a championship of some sort. But at the same time, everyone also wants to be a part of something that's making a difference in the world. And so if if people that you are enrolling in your decision can know that you have goals of winning and goals of being a championship organization, but also goals of doing it the right way, goals of impacting people and goals of doing things that are going to make a difference in the world, then it's very easy to enlist the right people uh, into that vision. Yeah. Well, you certainly have done a great job of painting that vision for people. Like you said, you, you got those first three key assistant managers to help you, even though, you know, they weren't necessarily connected to Pasadena. I know Josh Mm -hmm. and Danielle went to college, you know, in the somewhat 
general vicinity, whatever, like an hour away in Riverside. Yes. Um, and uh, Sean Jurassic came down from Monterey to, to work with you and help you. And that started the process right there. And you guys had a great year that first year there in Pasadena. And then, of course, rallying the key CSPs mm-hmm. that were there. They have been an instrumental part of creating other great sales leaders, right? Like Brandon, Deanna, Danny, Dwayne, and others, right? They've helped others to develop like Jake Zimmerman. They've helped others to develop like Ben Lee, Mm -hmm. who became one of the top new reps and then became a top new DM. Donnie Sanchez helped set a standard of excellence for new managers back Mm -hmm. in those early days as well. So it's cool that uh, you, you planted those seeds right out of the gate. Yeah. And, uh, and really it was being able to have people who were bought in not only to what we wanted to accomplish, but how we wanted to accomplish it. And that really were great character people inside and out and that wanted to be a part of building it and wanted to give back to the organization to create that was really powerful for us and really something that I was blessed with and to have great people uh, that were here. And the, one of the things when I think about vision, one of the quotes that I think of the most, it's actually on my on my wall right behind me, is the most important thing is to try to inspire people so that they can be great in whatever they do. Uh, and that's a Kobe Bryant quote. And so I, I feel like not only do we need to inspire people to uh, into our vision, but we also have to inspire them to cast their own vision for their own personal goals and dreams. And mm. a coach and a leader's job is naturally not just to help someone be successful in the business or make the business successful, uh, but also to be able to truly develop them as a person and become more successful in life and more fulfilled. So, yeah. Um, and you came in you took over where there were these high-powered Cutco sales professionals, and they give you a lot of credit in having helped them to elevate all of their games to a much, much, much higher level over the last few years. And these are people who you couldn't really boss around, right? Like there, right. there had to definitely be a coaching relationship there. What's the difference between a coach and a boss? That's a great point there. And I think, you know, one of the differences between a coach and a boss is adaptability. Uh, One of the things that's different with a coach and a boss is having people over money as opposed to money over people. Uh, I think that that's something that can really happen, but also really caring about an individual's success as a large part of the business success. But when I think about adaptability, you mentioned that like with someone like Brandon Brown or Deanna Scortino or Danny Garrido, like I'm not gonna teach them how to be a better closer with their customer, right? Because certainly uh, they surpassed my personal sales skills a long time ago. But at the Mine same too. Time, <laughs> at the same time, coaching people in a way that works for them. So uh, the my way or the highway approach is rarely a winning coaching style. So in our business, how I develop a CSP or career sales rep is much different than how I would coach a manager, which is much different than how I would coach a new representative. But then within that, each person as an individual has different needs and reacts to different types of motivation and different ways of being held accountable. So in short, it's, uh, it's important to be fair, but you don't coach everyone the same way. And even when I look at the various different managers or various different Cutco sales professionals or, or various different newer representatives, different people are going to need different types of coaching. Uh, as you mentioned, some of them are going to be able to take the hard stick of truth a little bit better than others will. Right? Some are going to react a little bit more to only positive side of reinforcement. And although that's going to permeate mostly uh, through my coaching anyways, is I'm not going to be negative most of the time, You know, there's different types of coaching that you're going to provide to different types of people. 
So I think that adaptability is definitely something that is a, a strong, important quality for a coach. I also think that strong communications of expectations is really important. And one of the things that I learned from you, Dan, uh, is the importance that expectations must equal results, uh, meaning that you have to be sure to communicate what you expect from someone in terms of effort and in terms of performance. People need to have a target and you and the people that you coach have to be on the same page for what that target is. And that allows you to then have another important coaching trait of having a high level of accountability to the commitments that are made. So once the standards and expectations are communicated, it's important that people you are coaching are, are really, they, they want you to help help them stay on track for that progress. And so if, if you're doing it correctly, then people will embrace you holding them accountable because they know that you're holding them accountable to something that they want to accomplish. And that's why it's so important when you're casting your vision and setting your expectations uh, to help people make a connection between their current work and the overall goals and dreams that they have as an individual. And therefore, when you're holding them accountable to achieve those goals, they'll realize it's for their own benefit. So good. That was brilliant, Kevin. Just that whole section that you just shared about adaptability, coaching people in a way that works for them, being clear about your expectations, setting up accountability, and even the little nugget where you said people over money, like that's a an underrated element of what I think builds the right relationships. And and everyone can tell how you feel on that spectrum of uh, you know, whether how important profit is to you versus making decisions that are in the best interest of people and putting them above your own personal gain. All of those things really tie together. And I feel like that's just some great stuff that you shared right there. Yeah. Another one I I will use, I'll use one more quote for another coaching philosophy that has helped me a lot from the great John Wooden. And John Wooden says, don't let what you can't do interfere with what you can do. And I would say if there's one core quote or one core belief that I've heard my managers reuse a lot. Uh, it's that one right there. Uh, I, I even had one at one point quote me as saying that, and I had to correct them that that is, that is a John Wooden quote and that he deserves. <laughs> but this certainly has become a core philosophy for me and coaching my people through challenges and obstacles that they face. Uh, there are some things that may be out of your control, but you can't let that stop you from focusing on the things that are in your control. And in fact, sometimes when you set high goals, the original goal may be out of reach at times for a given moment. Uh, Maybe it's a goal for the year, maybe it's a goal for the month or even for the week, and that shouldn't stop you from achieving all that you can during that period. So I think about how the company reacted to the pandemic this last year, and I think it really epitomizes that philosophy of don't let what you can't do interfere with what you can do. Mm -hmm. Uh, We couldn't run in-person interviews. We couldn't run in-person training and management and sales, which were all kind of bedrocks of our organization over many, many years. Uh, But that didn't interfere with what we could do, which was switch everything virtual, work hard, and find solutions. And in our case, it ended up being uh, really setting the company on a pace of innovation that will likely revolutionize our results in the company for years to come. But it really started off with us not deciding that we're going to focus on what's in our control as opposed to what's not in our control. We're not going to let what we can't do interfere with what we can do. Uh, And that really set us off for a a record-breaking year that we had this last year. Yeah. Awesome. Really great stuff there, Kevin. Recently, you have been able to coach and develop Ben Lee, who became the Silver Cup champion in a new district manager category last year. 
And I featured several Silver Cup winners in January on the podcast. And so Ben got a chance to share his experiences and his perspective. And he referenced a napkin talk <laughs> that he had with you, similar to the talk that you and I had over a beer at a kickoff conference many years ago. You and Ben had a conversation that led to where he's at right now. Tell us about that. Yeah, well, that conversation was not over a beer because Ben is a little underage. So uh, <laughs> so, uh, so that one did not happen the same way. But Ben Lee is somebody who uh, was our number one new representative, uh, not only in our division, not only in the region, but in the entire company in 2019. Uh, yep. So uh, he immediately showed his ability to perform at a high level. Uh, as uh, you can tell, if you listen to his podcast episode, that he had a rich history of football excellence as well. And he had immediately shown interest in being a leader within the division. And he was unsure, though, about what the right path was for him to pursue as a career with Cutco. So was it CSP, you know, being a Cutco sales professional, independent sales rep, or was it to pursue management? And he currently, at the moment of the conversation, was primarily pacing towards running a branch office and deciding to try out being a manager and then likely uh, decide on manager or CSP after that point. And ultimately, I wanted to sit down with him and learn more about what would be the right fit for him as a leader of the division. And I saw him as a pillar to build with, and I thought that he could be a key person to build with as a district manager. But I would learn more about that during this conversation. And in our conversation, I strengthened that belief because I learned that he had all the values that I looked for in a district manager, most importantly being he was most fulfilled when he was leading and inspiring others to achieve higher results. And he was more inspired when he was helping others achieve their goals, even than he was about achieving his own goals. And he had already been talking about that from his short time of being an assistant manager at that point. And so I talked to him about my belief in building the LA division, much like you talked to me about the belief of building the Bay Area division. And I talked about that we need to build this with pillars. And I outlined all the pillar managers that we already had in place all throughout our organization. And I shared my vision for what we would accomplish over the next few years and even beyond that. And after that, I told him that I viewed him as a pillar for what we were creating and that the best decision for him would be to become a district manager. And as he will tell you, that conversation went on for a long time before I told him that he was the pillar that I wanted to build with. And certainly uh, from that point forward, uh, Ben has shown why that was the certainly the right decision for him, uh, becoming the number one new district manager and winning a silver cup and national championship uh, just last year. So, yeah. And he's part of a great young core of leaders that you have in the LA division. And it's going to be exciting to see how that division develops and grows in the years ahead for sure. Yeah. I, I think, you know, it's, uh, that was certainly, it brings up the huge importance of surrounding yourself with the right people. And so it's important to surround yourself with pillars who will drive your culture. If you're a football coach, you have to assemble a staff. Uh, when you run a business, uh, it's about having the right people in the right spots of that business. And I'm consistently thinking about the how to maximize someone's leadership impact in the right position for them. And I think that 
I would be missing the mark if I didn't mention a few of those uh, here as well. And so in the LA division, I have some great district managers. And this is one of the things that inspired Ben uh, as I got a chance to have this conversation with him. We have Trey Payment and Donald Sanchez, who are uh, great veteran influences that we have on our team. We got Ryan Williams and Bryce Barnett, who are both up and coming young leaders. And I'm really excited to build that with them. And and of course, Ben Lee, uh, who we just mentioned. And I I really see this group as having the potential inside uh, to be the core to create an amazing division. And especially when you combine that with the tremendous high caliber individuals that we have on our CSP team, I really think uh, the sky's the limit for us. You know, at the CSP level, uh, I think that working through your leaders and supporting the group is extremely important. Brandon Brown, uh, really taking on a leadership position within the events team was a a big moment for us as a division. Uh, He provides coaching to our CSP team and shares ways for them to be able to raise their skill level uh, and using his own skills that he's developed over the years. And Brandon uh, gains tremendous value from the positive impact and influence that he is able to have on the other leaders through his teaching, not just through his sales. And similarly, Deanna Scortino and Chuck Thomas have been providing great leadership with our team in terms of how to perform with unrivaled consistency, uh, even in the pandemic, having a huge growth year, selling over $800,000 of Cutco and creating the right systems for advertising and creating repeat business. And Danny Garrido really provides a unique perspective in that he has had success as a district manager as well as a Cutco sales professional. And really, these three, along with Dwayne Murdoch, Lori Reyna, uh, Julian Landry, Rochelle DeYoung, Jake Zimmerman, have all played a great role in providing a level of leadership that I think is a somewhat of a secret ingredient to our division success. And the secret ingredient is not necessarily how much each of those individuals sell, which is a lot, but it's really how much they care about impacting the organization, how much they care about giving back. I think it would be very hard to find any number of CSPs who want to give back and want to be a part of what a division is building uh, than that group right there, especially led by Brandon, Deanna, and Danny, but really the whole CSP team. So I really view this group as business partners along with the district managers, and the organization we're developing here in Los Angeles has certainly been uh, developed in their image of high performance. Yeah, it's a great team for sure, Kevin, that you have there. And I know that amazing things lie in the years ahead for the LA division. Hey, man, we'd be remiss if we didn't talk a little bit about sports. Yeah. Um, who are coaches that you admire from the world of sports? Yes. So I mentioned John Wooden. And one of the things I I love about John Wooden is he was focused on creating great men, uh, not just great teams. And so uh, he is somebody who certainly when you find his pyramid of success and you find some of his teachings uh, that you realize that he was all about coaching people to be the best version of themselves more than about the X's and O's of basketball. But yes, this just in, they also were the best college basketball team over many, many years, uh, many, many years span to be able to achieve at a high level, not just uh, be able to become great people. But Phil Jackson is somebody who I think about. Phil Jackson developing a system that works and coaching each person differently. You know, you learn a little bit about how he coached Michael Jordan and then how he coached Kobe and how he coached Shaq and even Dennis Rodman in there. He treated that person a little bit differently. So when I think about adaptability, I I think a lot uh, about Phil Jackson and, and his coaching. A recent Michigan basketball coach that I think a lot about is John Beeline. So John Beeline is, uh, 
one of the best player development coaches that I've witnessed. So John Beeline would constantly have somebody who would come in as a freshman to one of his teams and he would get a little bit of playing time. And as a Michigan fan, I would not be happy when that person was playing uh, because there, I was like that Karis Levert, I will use as an example. I was like, all right, can he go, can he get out now? Can we bring the starters back in? Like, I don't know about this guy. Right. And then the second year I'd be like, Hey, this Karis Levert guys, he's pretty good. And then the third year, he's like an all pro and getting drafted in the NBA. And just the, the way he was able to develop players from when they first came in, to when they left. And it seems like that's continuing a lot with Juwan Howard. Obviously I'm a, I'm a huge Michigan fan. So, uh, so I'm staying with Michigan uh, on those two. And it seems like he's continuing that a lot, but, uh, but certainly that, that player development coaching that John Beeline had uh, was something that uh, I admired more recently. Bo Schembechler uh, is somebody who was before my time, but my uncle played football at Michigan, which is why I'm a huge Michigan fan. And so he had a huge focus on hard work. He had a sign that he put up in his team that said, those who stay will be champions. And that's because when he started off coaching, yeah, in fact, we have that in our, under our pillars, under those four pillars that I mentioned earlier, it says those who stay will be champions. So that actually fits in really well for uh, our organization as well. But I stole that from Bo Schembechler. And when Bo Schembechler made that, that saying, he was doing that because he made practices harder and longer and more often uh, when he went there and people were quitting and transferring and so on and so forth. And so somebody asked him about it. And so he made a sign that said, those who stay will be champions. And they became a powerhouse in the Big Ten. They were dominating Ohio State during much of that time. Uh, and so, of course, they had a, the great wars with Woody Hayes that they had going on. But also I think about him and from hearing about him from my uncle about how much he was focused on building a team atmosphere. Uh, there's a very famous speech that he gives. that's about the team, the team, the team that people can check out. Uh, and so he was definitely a great coach and also keeping it in the uh, football side of things. I would go with Nick Saban. So Nick Saban has certainly now become the goat of college football coaches. So his standards and expectations that he has for his program are like unparalleled his ability to bring high caliber leaders in as assistant coaches. Like the idea of that I was mentioning of having pillar district managers. I feel like he has like pillar position coaches. Uh, and then pretty soon those are ending up being uh, head coaches somewhere else or, or, or they come in from over here, or, you know, whatever it might be. And, and of course the fact that he's developing players to be able to have pretty much a pipeline going to the NFL. And so obviously it's not just for the success of his organization, but it's for the success of those players who are really having a life-changing experience by the life they're able to create uh, after their time working with them. So, yeah, well, those are some great choices for great coaches from the world of sports. Love how you went to Michigan for both basketball and football right there, Kevin. Very nice. (laughs) Hey, uh, you know, the theme of our podcast is changing lives. And just to wrap this up, as you look into the future, how do you aspire to change people's lives through what you do? Yeah, well, I would say in the near future, I'm excited to work with my current leaders in my division and to create an organization that will annually compete for national championships in the future. And I believe we can compete really in multiple categories for that. And so I believe that developing an organization that's going to be able to achieve those things is going to make a bigger impact on the world in general. Because the way that our business is set up, the more people one recruits multiplies the impact that we can have on the world through the ripple effects that come from the positive impact that we make on people. Mm -hmm. And similarly, the more growth and development that each individual person has that we work with 
And the more that they accomplish in their time working with us also multiplies the impact that they can have on the world because of what those people are primed to accomplish because of the habits and the skills and the development that they have in their time working with with us. So so I am excited to guiding the LA division and the Western region to becoming national championship organizations in the near future and the impact that that will have on the world. And once we are accomplishing that on a regular basis, Uh, I might look into uh, what else I can do to use my positive influence on the world through uh, all different avenues while continuing to grow uh, the organization here uh, in Vector at the same time. But for now, I'm looking to be able to impact the world from what we do within the LA division. Yeah, well, I definitely see a future for you in like uh, little kids coaching. (laughs) <laughs> right. Coaching some, uh, some basketball, some football, some baseball, some soccer, whatever it might be. Yes. Uh, you'll, you, you might even get into soccer, Kevin, if your kids end up playing that one day. Oh, oh, I, I played um, soccer all the way, all the way until eighth grade. It just didn't, it didn't make it once I got to high school. So, <laughs> well, you'll be a great coach out of vector as well as in vector. I'm sure in the future, I always have enjoyed working with you because of your positive spirit that you bring to everything that you do. You have a tremendous amount of natural talent, which I think people could sense just in hearing all of your great insights and wisdom today. You bring a high level of integrity to your organization. I think everybody that works with you knows that. And uh, as I referenced a few minutes ago, I, I really see the best days ahead here for the LA division in the years ahead. It's going to be an exciting ride to watch you guys continue to grow. Thanks for being part of the podcast today. It was a pleasure. It was great to be here. That was Kevin Donahue, everyone. It was really fun for me to have that conversation with him, having worked so closely with him for all of these years. The idea that it's more rewarding to teach than it is to accomplish something on your own, that was a great insight that came out early on. All of us have probably had things we've accomplished in our lives, and they all feel really good. But I'll tell you what, it feels so much more rewarding when you watch someone who you have nurtured and developed experience great success of their own. It is such a powerful, powerful experience. Great ideas on what good coaches do, casting a vision for people, displaying integrity, being encouraging to others. Ultimately, though, it's about helping people to achieve their potential. I'd loved the quote that potential has no value until it's realized and that great coaches are excellent at communicating their expectations to their people what they believe the other person can and should be doing and creating a system of accountability to help make sure that those people actually produce the results that they set out to produce. That was key. I want to encourage you to work on your game as a coach for all the people who are around you in your life. You can tell that Kevin studies good coaches, both in sports and inside the Vector Cutco business, and is learning to implement those ideas and strategies. And I also want to encourage you one last thing today, and that is this. Think of someone who has coached you in your life. Send them a message today. Send them a thank you. Send them a note. Send them some kind of acknowledgement about the part that they have played in your life and the impact that they have had on you. Now go out and do that for other people That's a great challenge to leave you with here today. Thanks for listening to this episode. Thanks for listening. If you got value from today's episode, please share it with others and consider rating or reviewing us on your podcast player. Subscribing to the podcast is free and ensures that future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. For access to guest bios, show notes, and other resources, visit changinglivespodcast.com. 
You can sign up there to receive valuable resources for free from people featured on the podcast. And to support our podcast sponsors, visit changinglivespodcast.com slash deals. This is Dan Cassetta signing off. We'll be back in a few days for our next story about changing lives. Thank you.